Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Lord Ward from the Australian Bureau, logging in. This is Maud Marty from the Canadian Bureau, logging in. Welcome to the latest episode of the Intermissions Club. This is Tim Sparling, aka T Spurs, logging in from TMSC headquarters here in London. Welcome to this month's episode of the Internationalist Club. It's me, Tim Spurrier, here in London. I'm going to say hello to uh, the Lord Ward down there in Oz. How are you doing? Good morning from Australia. Good morning. It is It is morning. 7 a.m. 7 I have to do this, mate. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. It's 9 o'clock GMT here as the clocks went back. And I'm going to go over to uh, North America, my friend, Mob Marty. Yeah, well, we're a little bit closer in time because it's only four hours difference now between me and you, Tim. I know, right? We've never been so close, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> As we always do, guys, we want to start off with the news. Uh, but who wants to start? You know, put the hand up in class. Oh, hand up from Bob Marty. My big exciting news is that I bought a 1964 Vespa GL. Nice. And I am in love. I'm desperately in love. I've named her Gladys. And uh, <laughs> I bought her at the end of the fall. So I had riding for about three weeks, but every day. And, uh, and then about two days ago, I was riding, had a beautiful evening, woke up the next morning to a blanket of snow. And so Ooh. just like that, it was over. <laughs> but I have it to look forward to in the spring. So I'm very excited. She's an absolute beaut and really, really rare thing to come across in Winnipeg. So I'm Fantastic. very happy. You bet you're a happy boy, uh, Matthew. Uh, not Matthew. Yes, yeah, Mister the Lord. I'm not going to. I'm not going to downgrade you again. The Lord Ward. Thank you, thank you. Not not quite as big as Marty's news, but I got seduced 
by a royal alloy, which I know. <gasps> um, the, I haven't bought it. I haven't bought it. But um, a friend of mine sent me a link to one that was for sale, and it was a beautiful metal flake purple. I really like, I know this goes against everything that, that we stand for with the traditional <laughs> mod thing. However, but modernism. No, I'm on board with this. Okay, I'm on board. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Modernism is about moving forward, right? With, with you know, and, and not forgetting the past. So I think that encapsulates that beautifully. It's got all the modern technology. But like I said, I haven't committed yet because I don't know. Do, how many scooters do you have, Marty? I've got two. Two? You two? Um, I'm counting in my head. Of, um, <laughs> two plus an Ape plus my original P200E, which is currently in bits. Four. Yeah. 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 It's been a while since I went to school, but I think that's four, Tim. <laughs> there you go. Well, so you so four. I've always subscribed to, I can't quite get my head around having more than one scooter because I, you know, it's not day to day transport. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a toy. I just can't get my head around having two. So if I went all in on the Royal Alloy, I've got to get rid of the, the beautiful Vespa. Which, but you don't have to. Well, I, I, I don't have space and all that. Even though I'm a lord and I live in a mansion, it's a very small mansion, right? <laughs> and um, and Jeeves parks his thing in there and all that stuff, you know, all that stuff goes on. So, um, yeah, still battling with that one. Keep well, I'll tell you what, if I hadn't found that uh, the GL, I was going to get uh, a Royal Alloy from the States because I think they're gorgeous and they're, you know, dependable and, uh, like you said, modern. So, Well, I'd certainly be looking at it, I think. Two of mine aren't registered for on the road. So my beautiful Vespa U 1953, which is just a piece of art and is never going anywhere, apart from sitting in my office, literally it's in like my, my office. my PL. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> my news is my Ape, which is not registered, but I'm in the process of turning it into a, a coffee vat. Oh. So unlike normal Apes, which kind of got a cab at the front, this hasn't. It's a full scooter at the front. We think it's about, it's about 73, 74. Oh. We think it's like a, a rally front maybe or a sprint or something like that. But with a box in the back, anyway, it's very cool. So that I kind of my news is scooter related. We're, we're very scooter related today, aren't we? So we are. Yeah. yeah. There we go. With the and news. And Tim, um, with the, with the, with yes. the scooters, mate, how often do you ride yours? Now, England, I think we surmised from the last episode that Canada's either on fire or it's drowning. Um, England's yeah, a little frozen. bit more... All frozen. Uh, so then that's not idealistic for, for scooter riding weather. England is not quite as extreme. So how often do you get on yours, mate? Well, I got my 1974, I think, Vespa 90 back on the road because it was playing up a lot. And I was riding it every single day. And then it played up again. And then it's gone all Canadian here with um, torrential rain, winds. Um, we just need a bit of fire. And I feel at home in Winnipeg, I think. So I've not really been out for a few weeks because the weather's been a bit crap. Um, I was driving most days. I was on lunchtime. I was popping on the scooter, going down to the cafe in Margate. There's a little piazza there. Sat there, parked it up, had a coffee, read a book, rode back. What a great little break that was. Wonderful. Let's move on to the weather, chaps. I jumped the gun slightly because we've had wind, really high winds here, like 70, 80 miles an hour-ish. Um, it's been worse and, and quite heavy rain. So it's been, it's got quite cold all of a sudden. It's knocked down to about, what well, in the Queen's money, 13 degrees. I don't know how that pans out in, in American. Centigrade? Centigrade, yeah, Celsius. 13 degrees? Like. It's bloody summer. Yeah. <laughs> it is summer, isn't it? I would it's talk you minus mi- something over It's there. minus three over here right now. But I mean, this is just, it's just fall and, and it gets down to minus 40 here in the winter. So 13 degrees is beautiful <laughs> is this where we cut the sound for lord ward when he starts you know waving his heat around <clears throat> the lord ward minus 30 is it's a silly place canada it just is it's a silly <laughs> well, place winnipeg's a silly place the rest of canada is okay <laughs> what is what is that about um i don't know queensland weather why why even talk about it it's just glorious um mind you i did i, I went to see paul mccartney uh, he's, he's here in Brisbane, not last night, not before. Nice. Fantastic, by the way. And, you know, that, that, again, there was a lot of socials about, you know, who wants to see this this old man. He's a Beatle, for Christ's sake. Of course you want to go and see him. Yeah. And he did an amazing show. However, we were quite excited because it, it actually went down in temperature to about a balmy sort of 20 degrees. So that's that's nice concert-seeking weather, right? Perfect. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You don't want it too hot, do you? You don't want to be all sweaty and horrible and no. you don't want it to rain. So that sounds perfect to me. No. Especially as a modernist, you don't want to, you know, you don't, one doesn't want to perspire in front of, you know, when one's got the best clothes on and stuff. I must say, though, 
my weather being as cold as it is right now. Like it's really hot in the summer. I think I've said this before on the show. There's an 80 degree difference between the middle of summer and the middle of winter. It goes from plus 40 to minus 40. Wow. Which is very extreme. But the fact that it gets cold here, it means that I can wear, you know, three piece suits with an overcoat and feel very comfortable. You know, when it gets too hot, I don't love it because I can't really dress the way I want to dress. No, there's no room, there's no room for the jacket and the, you know, no. tie or anything. You start, you gotta be all t-shirty and, and well, maybe we'll get on to dress at one point, but gents, let's move on to our main subject. And this is keen listener. Um, as you remember from last week, we, we took a deep dive into the 60s, which I thoroughly enjoyed, gents, absolutely thoroughly enjoyed, and agreed this program would take a leap forward in time, a good 10 to 12 years to the late 70s to the mob revival. And I know for, for those out there who are going to say, but, 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 what about skinheads, sweetheads, et cetera, et cetera, we will return to those things. But we're kind of going to the major, major bursts first. So having done a little research and not in a research center, the law board, mm. just uh, research at home. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of working out that it's kind of, we're talking about 1978, 79 when modern revival starts. Would we agree with that? 77. 77. Yeah. I think um, in the city it was 77. That kind of, to me is a marker. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of that moment when punk was giving way to like, or, or people were starting to rebel against punk by becoming mods. 77. I agree. Yeah. In the city is probably, I, but I suppose from my point of view, it's starting to pick up in popularity. Probably it was, it, we're back to our original when we did our original one talking about the kind of Soho jazz boys and it? it's a, a fringe movement. 77 still probably a fringe movement at that point. Just starting to pick yeah. up. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, it's right. It's Quadrophenia that brought it into the four, you know, like that was the moment. Absolutely. Which is 1979. Absolutely. So I was reading quite interestingly about, from my friend who I've mentioned before. His name's Gareth Brown. He was the editor of Scootering Magazine. Yes. And he wrote a book called Scooter Boys, which has got a kind of nice bit of history in it. Um, And he was one of the chaps at the forefront. I suppose of all people, I was probably the closest, maybe, as I've just had my birthday. So I'm I'm kind of getting into it about 80, 81, 82. So I kind of had to talk to people about what kicked it off, really. Does anyone have any ideas about what really kicked it off? Was it the jam? Well, I actually think that it was the uh, rebellion against what was happening, especially in England, because England was really rough in the late 70s. And there was a a, a want to uh, pull back to a more refined time and a, a cleaner look and a cleaner lifestyle. And perhaps the music too, the jam. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, but even the clash was sort of leaning in that direction too. They were pulling away from the punk a little bit more and, you know, but it's the small revival bands though, that were popping up all over England that were. Absolutely. And we'll definitely get into that. And, and listeners, we'll, we'll, we've got our tracks. Lord, what's your kind of take on it? Where did it kick off from? Uh, well, for me personally, I remember getting all mod cons. So that was 78, right? I think so, yeah. Yes, it was. Um, (laughs) uh, I remember getting that for Christmas on a little cassette and just playing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so I think that was my introduction to actually owning some of that music. I do remember in the city, I do remember the album, I do remember uh, at the time, uh, and I think we've discussed this before, I was brought up on Northern Soul, my family, my sister was a big Northern Soul girl, used to go Wigan and all those things, And, and that music was playing all the time in my house. Um, I actually went down, I like the sensibility and the energy of the punk new wave movement. So I really got into that music. I didn't particularly like the the fashion and all that stuff. So I remember hearing and seeing in the city and I remember in my mind, the two went together. And one of the tracks I've picked today is, is almost that seminal track that kind of molded the two things together. And suddenly the world made sense to me. Certainly. I, kind of, I remember seeing the, the Inner City album. That's the first time I'd seen that look as it were, with those kind of Gibson jam shoes and sharp suits when everyone's wearing punky stuff before that. Exactly. Yeah. And what I was kind of reading was interesting because I I remember when I was young, there was a kind of mythical gang (laughs) um, called the Glory Boys. Uh, Oh, yes. Yeah. Remember the um, Secret Affair album was called Glory Boys. And for those who don't know, the Glory Boys were actually a group of mods in London who didn't want to associate with themselves to be called mods as revivalists, 
but specifically called themselves Glory Boys, something new. Weren't the secret affair involved in that group? No. They weren't, eh? They just lifted it straight off. Ah. The Glory Boys basically want to say, yeah, we're taking inference from there. Like we're taking, you know, an interest in that, but with something new, a bit more edgy, a bit more, you know, with a sense of punk to it, but a bit more style. And I just remember the Glory Boys being a kind of mythical gang. They were like the Soho Jazz Boys, really. They were a little gang in London who were kicking it all off. Very interesting. And Tim, was, was, is it a fable? Were they all Millwall supporters? They were at that end. They were in the East End, I think. Right. Um, so it, it does it does recall that. And we'll mm. get to the violence in a while. So that wouldn't surprise me. That. So well, well tasty, right? Well tasty. Well, they certainly from, from the friends that I knew that let's say they weren't averse to a little bit of a ruck. Let's put it that way. Right? <laughs> and certainly at the early doors, it was interesting to read because I remember this literally everyone going down to charity shops and and places like Camden Market and everything and buying old suits and Levi 501s and old shoes, stuff that was then 10 to 15 years old maybe or raiding their father's wardrobes for stuff. There was no shop selling this stuff at all. So it was a real hodgepodge of stuff that were people getting into in terms of clothing. And it was straight off the mod uniform, as it were, you know, your Parkers, your Ben Shermans, your 501s, desert boots. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting way that kids, because we're talking about kids again, 16, 15, 16, 17, maybe a bit older, buying what initially were pretty expensive stuff, but cheap as chips. Did you do that, Matt? Did you do the secondhand thing? I Again, so just coming back to, to their albums in the city, it wasn't a revolution in my head. Like I still dug the new wave stuff. I was still buying some of that stuff whilst following the jam. So the style thing didn't, I didn't really jump onto that straight away. I was kind of in, in no man's land. So it was only probably two or three years later that I really sort of, I don't know, just succumbed to the style and the fashion and the clothes. You know, we, we were raised in Northampton, so it was like an, an hour's train ride down to London. I remember taking many, many trips down to London, down to the shops there, because that's in, locally you couldn't get the gear, so we'd have to travel to, to go and get it. And uh, bizarrely, I remember my um, 70-year-old aunt coming with me because she wanted to see the sights. So I'm off going shopping and she's off going to look at the pigeons in Trafalgar Square, etc. And then um, showing her my purchases on the way home. She said, oh, that's nice, son. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so like me, did you go to Carnaby Street? Did you, yes. Did you yes. Um, go to Shelley's, yeah. for instance, which was my yep. shoe shop of, uh, of wants? 100%, 100%, yeah. So always uh, took a trip. And Carnaby Street was obviously a lot better than it is at the moment, but it was, it was sort of a biannual pilgrimage. There was nothing like that in Canada, and it was all vintage stores. It was all like a, a Value Village and the Salvation Army, and it was part of the fun. It was part of the excitement was searching for the clothes, and you'd come across a Ben Sherman or a Fred Perry. It was ultra exciting, like very, very exciting. And I mean, that went on throughout the 80s into the 90s until some mail order shops in the UK started selling stuff. Like uh, I think there was a shop called The Cavern. Does that ring a bell with you guys? No, not with me because at that point I wasn't probably buying a lot of mod stuff at that point, to be honest. Right. They had a lot of skinhead stuff and a lot of like Lonsdale and, and Fred Perry's and things like that, that you could order online, but they were ultra expensive too, right? I mean, the whole point of Fred Perry's and Ben Sherman's was entirely so that you could buy this expensive shirt and show off that you were working for your money and say, you know, I, I bought the shirt and the reason why I have this name on it is because I paid for it with money that I earned. But in Canada, you couldn't do that. And all the Freds and, and Bens that you could find were entirely from thrift stores. Totally. So, uh, Lord Board, yes. did, did you pick a jam song for your, for your first choice? Yes, I did. Do you want me to tell you about it? Oh, yeah, please. So from the album in the city, again, the amalgamation of the New Wave punk thing and the Northern Soul thing, this particular track to me was The Crosshairs, right? A track called Nonstop Dancing from the album in the city. Just a moment of clarity for me. Like I said, the energy of punk being melded with, well, it's not Northern Soul music, but he's 100% talking and singing about all-nighters. And yeah, that to me, it just hit the note for me. Life was never the same after that. Like, like meeting you, Tim, life was never the same after that either. <laughs> Slight, slightly different slightly different reason, but anyway. Always a man of good taste, Seth. <laughs> and let's hear that now. 
Yeah, truly out on the floor then, Matt, right? Of course it's about Northern Soul. Truly out on the floor, non-stop dancing. Yeah, and, and we've discussed the tribal thing in the UK. Again, where I came from, I, I wasn't born in London. I wasn't born in the major city. I was, I was a smaller town in Northamptonshire. And uh, the tribal thing was there, but the tribe was everybody in the town, right? So we had punks, rockabillies, mods. Everybody was mates except for skins. And we would go to each other's parties, right? So there would be a party and you would hear different music all night. And then the punks would get up and then the mods would get up, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember the, when the jam come up, there would be punks and mods and skins. They would all dance to that. So it was, yeah, it was Crossover music. quite a thing, yes. Yeah, but certainly that, that music seems very R&B, right? Very, very R&B in yep. terms of kind of pub rock, kind of whatever. What did you go for, Mai, for an early one? Well, I, I got to remember years here. The one that I was leaning to the most right now is, is the Squire track, it's mod mod world because to me it was sort of anthemic right it was right. like everybody sings the we are the mods from quadrophenia but somebody had actually put it to music in a yeah. way that to me was like yeah it's not cheesy not at all and, and they and they were certainly one of the big mob bands squire oh very much so yeah and but they weren't as known for sure as most of them like the lambrettas the merton park is the you know the chords they they weren't we never heard about them in canada okay they're more of an underground band well let's hear that it's a mod, mod. Come on. 
that's a classic mode track. It is. And again, it's it it's talking about the lifestyle in the same way that Matt was saying that his pick was talking about the Northern Soul lifestyle. This is talking about being a mod and all the things that are inherent in choosing this lifestyle. Uh, just on that track, a yeah, good track, man. Steve Baker was the lead guitarist of Squire, right? Yeah. I was at a From the Jam gig and um, this chap came up and, and tapped me on the shoulder and we just started chatting. And it was Steve Baker, so he <laughs> lived in Australia. <laughs> He's no longer with us, bless him. But um, we, we struck up a friendship over that, just over music. And it's funny, you've seen From the Jam, the Squire are from Woking as well, as well as the Jam. So they kind of knew each other. Okay, I never knew that. Yeah, and halfway through the gig from the jam, uh, and that was the last one with Rick Butler, I think. Bruce stopped and went, "Oh, Steve's in the in the audience," and and gave him, you know, a big shout out, which was lovely. But um, I'm not going to call it a friendship, but we we communicated quite regularly after that. Uh, Steve, that Steve, um, he had he had a rare form of cancer. I, I can't remember the details, but obviously he, you know, he did, he had a really tough journey from then on. One of the proudest moments of doing the the radio, nowhere to run, and the blop was uh, because of this sort of friendship that we've got together. Uh, Steve was in hospital, and it was kind of his last days, and we managed to play a couple of Squire tracks for him and dedicated those to him. Not not in a in a macabre way, but um, just to you know. Hang in there, mate. You, you're going well. He actually posted the next day um, a video of him in, in the hospital playing along to the radio with his guitar, actually playing the track live in the hospital. It's just a, it was a lovely moment. I think we lost him two or three days after that. But um, yeah, a lovely, lovely guy, and just so enthusiastic and, and in love with the whole mod thing. Still, still rode a scooter. Still did all that. Was uh, yeah, just just a legend. What a wonderful story. Yeah, I agree. A beautiful story, and I think we've, we often forget about those bands. Everyone's so obsessed with the jam. Yeah, which kind of me gets a little bit passe. The wild well, yeah, the jam, <laughs> totally obsession. Misses out on a lot of good stuff, which brings me on to my choice. And when talking about anthems, this was the anthem for me. Certainly, when I was young, when I was first modding up, sort of early eighties, you know, t- turn of the turn of the eighties, seventies into eighties. Secret Affair, Time for Action. Whenever, ever it got played, it was it was the mod anthem. No, no joining on the dance floor with other tribes. It was the mod anthem. And the end of it still brings a tear to my eye and I'd want to scream that out. So we'll listen to that now. Standing in the shadows Time to be seen. This is the time for 
So the end of that, right? Mods, 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 mods. Like dozens of us screaming that out in a thingy. It just still brings a little bit of a chill down my spine about how cool that was and how tribal and how much, how mod we felt. For me, that- We hate the punk elite. We and- hate the punk elite. Yeah. And it, it just, and again, back to our original thing, the Glory Boys were, were an actual bunch of Glory Boys out in East London, very naughty boys. And for me, that was, there was a massive connection there with that song. And, and of course, they're, they're back touring again. Um, all over the place. So uh, I'd love to go and see them again. Same for you guys. Do you you get that emotional connection with Time for Action? Oh, absolutely. For me, it's, it, it was one of the tracks that really pulled me into the Mod Revival sound because I didn't warm up to the Mod Revival sound right away. Although my introduction was through Two Tone. I took an art career preparation course in in high school that allowed me to be in a small room with some older students that we all just worked on art projects and my friend he brought in the first specials album and we just listened to it forever and i i was just so taken with it and in actual fact thinking about it i don't think any of us chose any two-tone which is interesting because it's all definitely part of the the mod revival. I will say I specifically did. I think we've spoken on different programs that Two Tone is just totally part of me. Yeah. Like who I was. But I think we're going to do a whole program on that. Yes, we definitely will. But it, it was it was the gateway for me. And then, I, and then it was the chords and the Purple Hearts and Secret Affair. Yeah. For me, where it becomes big, and I'm not around at this point in terms, because 1978 into 79, I'm kind of 12, right? Although it was in my school, it, I knew about it, but it wasn't, you know, something. So 1979, two, two, for me, two big things happened. And it was kind of kicking around in the newspapers and stuff about this revival, still small. The first one is Mob May Day happens in 1979. So those who don't know, Mob May Day was a, an album made of a live concert in Canning Town, which is in East London, back to the Glory Boys again, 1979, which for me is still one of those refreshingly beautiful albums of kind of power and excitement because Secret Affair on there, um, Small Hours, The Mod, Squire. Do you guys know the album? I assume you do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, again, that was a really important album in the whole roots of my interest in it. You, Matt? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, just before we move on, I just want to, if I can, flick back to Secret Affair. Sure. What was Maybe it was just my town, but there was kind of a – you're either on the secret affair side or the jam side. It was it was an interesting divide within the community. Um, same with me. Matt. I don't know, I, I, same with me. I can't think of anybody that that was full on with both. It was either or kind of thing. So I, I was I, I didn't dislike secret affair, but they didn't really grab me at the time. I like them more now than I did back then for some reason. I think and I think that's probably like Weller sort of went out and. I think he was champion a lot of those bands, but not Secret Affair. I don't know what went on there. You know, P-Dub's uh, quite a complex character <laughs> yeah. sometimes from what you hear, but um, there was obviously some sort of history or story there. Yeah, it, it was very much the same. So you generally didn't like, well, you didn't dislike either, but you preferred one or the other. And mm. uh, in my era, it was kind of much cooler to like Secret Affair because everyone knew the jam, right? Everyone heard Start and, you know, whatever. Um, but if you knew, if you could sing, you know, Glory Boys, you know, all the way through or um, Time for Action, you're screaming at the top of voice, it was a much cool, you were part of the gang at that point. So it was a, a kind of badge of honor to like Secret Affair. Well, well remembered. I completely forgot about that. It was true. I, Marty, you can't imagine that being a thing. Well, for me, it, it, there was not any kind of divide for sure. Everybody liked both bands, but I would wear the pin with just the keyhole on it. So, you know, it doesn't say the name of the band or anything. You just like, you either know or you don't know, right? It was one of those things. But everybody knew like Town Called Malice came out and the jam was just huge all over the, all over the place. And then I had way more enjoyment out of Paul Weller when he went solo 
with a little bit more of uh, a style council because people weren't as aware. And it goes to my interest in being part of the the lesser known or the not underdog, but that's it. The littler group. Yeah. So we got 79. Remember we were Mob May Day. Um, which was a very underground album, and it's kind of cool to like that. But obviously there was something slightly bigger happened in 1979. And I'm not sure whether, of course, we're talking about Quadrophenia. Yeah. I'm not sure whether it was made because Mob was becoming a big thing or that it was a very happy coincidence that it was going to be made. I think it was it was a work in progress for many, many years because since the, uh, the album came out years before the original album, like, with the booklet inside that has the you know the pictures and and i watched a documentary that showed that uh pete townsend ed from from the moment he came up with the idea of the album he wanted to make a movie so i feel like it was just a happy accident well we gotta admit that it was kismet it was timing was perfect for when it did come out and what was happening with the bands and the interest in the 60s but still sort of because the album doesn't feel 60s. It feels very much just the who at the time. They weren't trying to recreate their 60s sound. They, they were doing something different and, and they were making a rock operas. I mean, that's what they were doing with like Tommy and things like that. And they had this brilliant idea of sort of recounting a time that we were all like hooked on just like that. Absolutely. And this is, of course, I think it was actually 1973. So the film comes out six, six years later. Yeah, it was quite a long time. Gareth recounts in his book, and I recount from some of my older, I'd say colleagues, older mods that I knew, that literally people were screaming and shouting in the cinema. Yeah. Just full of mods, just there. And obviously there was there was a, a nice, easy um, extras cast going on there. What, what's your thoughts, the Lord Ward? Yeah, Quadrophenia, as a piece of art, I love it. I think it's a fantastic film. And I, I do remember it coming out, and I do remember going to see it with all, all the mod mates, and it was it was a wonderful thing. The, the thing that troubles me with this, and and um, again, I seem to be the dissenting voice again, but it, it's people probably take it a little bit too seriously. Oh, like there's people that still quote Jimmy Jimmy <laughs> oh, lines and yeah. tracks, and I'm like, mate, it's a film. It's not. It's not a yeah. Anyway, but it's a cult film, and people do that with cult films. They yeah. always do, like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Clockwork Orange. They all have that kind of a following. People take it's them a- very seriously. Yeah, but I'm with you, Matt. So 79, it really starts kicking off and actually you can start buying stuff all over the place. It's not a little thing now. Your parkers are everywhere. Suits are everywhere. Um, so it's got 79, 80. It's just like at its peak. Where did you go next in terms of a track, The Lord Ward? Purple Hearts Frustration, 1979. Let's have a listen.
Purple Arts Frustration, a banger of a track. Good choice. Yeah, it's a it's a real banger of a track and a real, again, one that really encapsulates the sound that was the mod revival and that was specific to that sound. But Lawboard made, made a very good link to the next track because you said um, Purple Hearts toured with the undertones, right? And um, Mod Marty, you've picked the undertones, which is a, That's right. it's so, a choice and a half, sir. That's a brave choice. Well, you know why? There's a specific reason why. Well, one, so it's from 1983, I believe. So for me to be in, interested in Mod Revival in the late 80s because of my age, that's when it hit me and it was still around and I was discovering those 79, 80, 81 bands in 86, 87. And when I discovered this particular song by the undertones, I've, I loved it. They played it on much music, which is our, it was our music video station, our MTV. And then later discovered that it was a cover of an Isley brothers track. So to me, like the jam track that I've also chosen, it harkens back to the origins of the whole mod thing. You know, they're not just messing around. They are legitimately influenced by what came before. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll get more into that because my, my choice skips straight off the back of that. So let's listen to the undertones now and see what it sounds like. <laughs> So that was the undertones. Uh, yeah, very moddy. Nice choice. I, I, which kind of brings me on to my thing, and we'll, I'll skip straight onto mine, right? So I, I'm going to play you a track now, and I'm not even going to tell you who mm-hmm. it's by, right? I'd never heard of it. Whilst doing my research, I found this one, and I said, wow, that's really moddy. Um, and then I found out who it was. So let's have a listen to it, okay? And then we'll have a discussion. Waiting for the summer, waiting for the crowds, waiting for the holidays. Gone is the winner. Comes the summer, it's a bank holiday weekend. May 27 to May 28, the wedding ends. 
So guys, that was Bank Holiday Weekend by a group called Seventeen. Oh, give you, give you two guesses each who that is. Pete Shelley. Nope. No. Was it the first incarnation of Wham? <laughs> <laughs> that guys is the Alarm. No. Who originally were a mod band called Seventeen. Seventeen. There we go. Which brought a nicely for the undertone. So it's, I suppose what I was trying to get to from that was the idea that mob was kind of really growing in a consciousness and a lot yeah. of people who became extremely creative were out of mod yeah well like tears for fears came out of graduate which was like a two-tone mod band absolutely absolutely and then that happened later on with groups like the prisoners who became jtq and etc etc et yeah so mod kind of really flourishes into 80s and it flourishes till about 83 ish when it kind of melts away into, as my, I'll go back to my friend Gareth Brown, into the Scooter Boy thing. But uh-huh. for that sort of four or five years, it was massive. I mean, absolutely massive. And it kind of stayed with us and it certainly stayed, it certainly informed us three chaps, right? It did. But, you know, in, in North America, it was not massive. It was very elusive, not at all a thing of that was, if it wasn't for Quadrophenia and for the specials, I wouldn't even have known what was going on. Absolutely not. Who's got a choice next? We've got three each and we're going to skim through them. What have you got, uh, Lord Ward? Yeah, I'm going to kick on a couple of years. So 1980, so we've gone from 79 to, well, 77, 79, now 1980. So um, at the time, I'm a young teenager. I'm just discovering bits that suddenly work and a whole new mentality and mindset, if you know what I mean. Um, no courtesy laugh on that one, thank you. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> You're all leaving that one alone. Um, yeah, the chords, the chords, the chords, oh, of course great. the chords. So again, from South East London, uh, they're using sixes imagery again in the fonts of the band. I actually really rate that. There was a lot of mod revival bands, and, and I don't want to be rude or disrespectful, but the quality of their musicianship probably wasn't the highest. Wasn't the best, mate. That's, that was no, sort of part of the charm, take. though, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was coming out of that whole new wave thing. But hmm. um, there was a couple of bands that you could really tell knew their way around an instrument. Um, again, pardon the pun. The Chords were one of those bands. So um, I think they did um, They did their initial work with Jimmy Percy from Champs 69. He, he had a label at the time, and they were, they were signed to that. Um, and then Polydor picked them up 
Um, Weller also supported him. So again, he didn't support many revival bands, but I think it was a musicianship that he saw in them. But uh, this particular track, maybe tomorrow, John Peel really championed it. Actually, had some commercial success. I think it was in the top forty or top thirty of the time, which was quite rare for that style of music, other than the jam. So again, this brings back so many memories of that time, and just musically a really, really strong track. And uh, yeah, I still, still love it to this day. And what's the name of the track, Matt? Maybe tomorrow, the chords. Fantastic. Let's play it out now. Great track, fantastic, really good choice actually. Really interesting choices going on here. Where, where did you go to next, Marty? Me, well, I went back to '78. I went back to all mod cons. I went back to the jam because, again, touching on influences and touching on the connection between Quadrophenia, between the original mods, between the Who and the Jam, uh, David Watts, and their, which is a cover of uh, Kinks track. And so all like the Who, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones, that was all part of the roots. So for the jam to acknowledge, you know, not do what uh, Secret Affair did and, and, and say, oh, no, 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 we're not mods. But for the jam to say, no, no, we're definitely mods. I mean, uh, Paul Weller famously said, he's a mod, he'll always be a mod and you can bury him a mod. And this to me is a connecting song. It connects all those pieces that are strewn out from the late 50s to the late 80s. And it's still got that punk bit to it. Let's listen to uh, the Jam David Watts fantastic track.
Fantastic song, total anthem, right, guys? Total Absolutely. Anthem. Yep. So we, we're heading towards the end of things, and um, as I said, mods kind of faded out into a number of different things, but particularly Scooter Boys. Well, actually, Scooter Boys' interesting bit um, in in Gareth's book again was that the idea is that Scooter Boys had evolved from there, and that interestingly, that came out of a when the Southern mods, which was kind of mods started down in the South, the revival met the Northern mods. They realized they were completely different. The Northern mods were listening to Northern Soul. They were wearing flares. They were wearing DMs. They didn't dress yeah. at all the same. And there was a big chasm between the way they looked. But as things grew, they kind of grew into Scooter Boys, which was kind of Army Greens, Combats, DMs, um, A1 jackets and skinheads. Yeah, lots of flight jackets and lots of patches. But the... The mods carried on. So the scooter rays that happened that literally split. You had the revivalist ones and you had for a number of years revivalist ones. And as he rightly says, it was often the younger ones who was me. Yeah. And the older ones became scooter boys uh, until everyone became yeah. scooter boys. What I wanted to end up was this though, in, in terms of tracks was that I found it really interesting. We spoke about the undertones and the alarm and how, but actually we haven't really touched on how soul was in there because it wasn't really a big bit, but it was up north, not particularly down south. But kind of modern was starting to hide in everyday culture if you mm-hmm. start thinking about dexies and everything that was coming along. So where I finish off is this, is a group called the Q-Tips. Okay? Uh, yeah. So the Q-Tips was the first incarnation of Paul Young, if for those who know. And um, I've picked a track of theirs, which is, I mean, their first album is literally just a, a covers album. And I think it says a lot about how much mod was in the mainstream culture they were doing that so i'm going to play this track for you Wait. 
Yes, yeah, a total total stacks track, right? Total stacks track, and that's you know, and that's a mainstream band playing. Actually, if you just listen to early Q Tips, people, it's absolutely fantastic. Can I just interject? I just want to talk about the fact that mod, to me, from my point of view, did not disappear, but changed into uh, Britpop. So it changed into Madchester Britpop. But like 10 years later, and I think it's almost like another revival, you know? No, no, like like four years later. True. Because everything everything was falling apart around 85, 86. But by 89, the Stone Roses and Blur and those guys were picking it, picking up where that left off. I certainly believe that, well, you know, well, I, I was living in Manchester. I was living next door to Gareth, funny enough. And uh, <laughs> we were listening to the Stone Roses. That's a good place to leave it, actually, because yeah. yeah, you're probably wrong. It didn't die out. It yet again evolved into something new. Yeah. So I think that's a nice way to leave that because what, what we've got is Mod having another revival really strong, seeming to die out, but not really. It changed into something again and morphed into something else, which is yes. perhaps even our next episode. Yeah, yeah. Could it be, chaps? Viva la mod revolution. That, that is a, it's a big contention, isn't it? Britpop and mod, massive contention. Oh, it depends on where you are. It was natural mm. change here. Absolutely. But for some people, not so much. Um, but certainly, as I said, for us old mods, I think listening to the Stone Roses, even though they're wearing flares and stuff, it felt yeah. totally mod. Yep. That's our time, guys. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Yes. It does. Too fast. <laughs> Too fast. <laughs> Some amazing tracks there. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy going back there. Yeah. Gents, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'd am i like to say goodbye to uh, Mr. Matthew, the Lord Ward. Ciao for now. Uh, goodbye, Bob Marty over there in Canada. Goodbye. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. And goodbye from me, Tim Spurrier, from uh, the Internationalist Club headquarters here in London. Ciao for now. You have logged off from the Internationalist Club. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.